Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Good morning. Um, as you're settling in, we're going to spend some time this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. So if you like to follow along in the text, uh, you, can, you can find Hebrews 10 as you're getting seated, seated, uh, it's Greek. Um, before we dive into the text, though, uh, and I'll apologize in advance, my introduction is longer than normal, but I want to share something um, a bit just to kind of give you some perspective on how this sermon got to be in my head to then be delivered out to you uh, this morning. Uh, so this is a, a a little bit of a journey on uh, over the last month, uh, and uh, I, I don't know what the Holy Spirit might do with our text this morning in your hearts. I know what He's done in my heart over the last few weeks, and so um, my prayer is that God will use what I've experienced to teach you something helpful uh, for your own experience. And so, um, in fact, I, I just I just want to take a minute and pray to that end right now as we get started. So if you'd join me in prayer, please. And Father, uh, I am grateful that you've drawn us together this morning. I'm grateful that we could worship you together and celebrate who Jesus is. I'm grateful for the songs that bring to mind the glory that is Christ. And Father, I'm grateful for your word that puts that in black and white in so many ways. Lord, this morning, would you just... um, Grant us the the presence of your Spirit to work in our hearts, to open our ears to hear your truth, and to mold us to be more like that Jesus that that we've sung about, because of Christ. Amen. Uh, For those that are visiting, I am not the guy that's usually up here. Uh, Pastor Jesse, who normally does the preaching, is traveling. We try to give our, our preacher a few weeks every summer to refresh and... Uh, sort of a sabbatical time and so forth. And so uh, Jesse and his son Emmett are in Europe, uh, and the elders have put together a four-week series in his absence uh, about living life together, what it looks like to live life together as a family. And so um, it's my turn. (laughs) And for those that don't know, we put some thought into these series as a group uh, we email around, we have during our elders meetings some times to talk about, okay, what topics are we going to hit and what's the theme going to be, what passages and so forth. And so I volunteered for Hebrews 10 uh, and the idea being that this was going to be a sermon about discipleship, and it is. Um, but I thought, okay, this has some things to say Hebrews 10, especially verses 24 and 25, where we'll be focused, has some things to say about what discipleship ought to look like. Um, And I'll be very honest with you. I was pretty quick to approach this sermon the wrong way. Um, Because when I read Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, my brain immediately, the wheels started turning. And I started bullet pointing applications for you. And immediately I started thinking, oh, here's something you need to hear. Oh, here's something you ought to be doing differently. Or here's something you ought to keep doing. Um, I had lots of you shoulds and lots of 
they all need to hear this kinds of things going on. And uh, for you would-be preachers, that is the wrong way to go about this. Um, If you were here during our series on James, Pastor Jesse, as he hit James chapter 3, explained to you that the way God works appropriately in the life of a preacher or a teacher is that God first works in the life of the preacher or teacher through His Word to change him or to shape him or to equip him, and then that gets shared. And I was ready to short-circuit that because I figured I knew what God needed me to hear already because this was a passage I was sort of familiar with, um, and so now I would move on to what God needed you to hear. And that was my sort of mindset about six weeks ago. And then June 6th happened. I don't usually drink when I talk. This is so I don't cry. For most of you, the most that June 6th means is the celebration of D-Day. It's fine. It's worth celebrating. For our family, 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning on Thursday, June 6th, we got a phone call, and 90 minutes later I was saying goodbye to Bob. And some of you had met Bob over the years. He was Melissa's dad. He was my kid's grandfather. He was a good friend for 34 years. And to be honest, of all of the people that I've lost over the years, this one's probably been the hardest. And so in a few days, as the fog was settling over my brain and the grief was there, I said, I'm not going to preach because I got less than a month and I'm just not going to be there. It won't work. Um, and, just, and so you know, I was off the hook. My brothers were f- fully equipped and ready, if need be, to step in. You know, no, we're not going to make you preach when you're saying goodbye to a family member. Um, but I sort of said to myself, all right, before I just completely back away, I'm going to just spend some time letting the Scriptures soak into my brain. And maybe God will teach me something. And if God teaches me something that it feels like ought to be shared, I'll share it. Knowing that I could step aside at any minute. <laughs> and the funny thing about God, <laughs> when you spend time in His Word and you ask him to teach you, he does. And what I learned is, it's really not about you. Not in the sense of God gave me this great revelation or vision, or it's just as I soaked in the Scriptures and asked God to do something with it, what I kept coming back to was, I did it wrong, it's not about you. And it's strange, because if you read the passage, it sounds like it's about you and me. It's about us. In fact, I'm going to do that. Let me me read through this first, and then I'll come back to this idea of not being about us. Um, We're looking specifically at verses 24 and 25, but I want to back up to verse 19, because that's kind of the beginning of a thought, and it puts it all in context. So, Beginning in Hebrews 10, verse 19, if you want to read along, the Scripture says this, Therefore, 
brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. And if you just read that, right, especially verses 24 and 25, it sounds like it's about us. There's a lot of one another's and let us and we do this, and it's a lot of that. But it's not about you or me, not really, not at its core. See, if you, if you back up a little bit, in that passage that we read, there's these, there's these three let us statements. We're going to focus on the third one. But you look in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You look in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession. And in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another. Three little commands, three little let us phrases. But the reason I started in verse 19, because that's where the author's thought begins, is because in verse 19, there's this little word, therefore. Therefore, let us, let us, let us. And if you've done any Bible studying around Kishwaukee very long, you may have heard when you see the therefore, you ask, what's it? Therefore. Because the word therefore signals an application. The word therefore in the scriptures, 99 times out of 100, says, I've just given you important truth, and now I'm going to tell you what to do with that important truth. And we can look at the important truths of verses 24 and 25, but if we don't understand what the therefore is therefore, we don't understand what to do with the truth or why we should do what we should do with the truth. Say for a minute, you've come to my house, we're standing in the kitchen, and you spy on the counter the little white box that us sycamore folk know from the confectionery full of chocolates. And as you reach down and grab the first chocolate and sort of look at me questioningly, like, you're not going to tell me no, are you? I say to you, you know, chocolate-covered caramel, like you have in your hand, is full of calories. You don't really need those calories, and I have rice cakes. So let's just have a rice cake. Therefore, put the chocolate down. Eh. Rice cake, chocolate, calories, I could afford a couple. Eh. But what if I said to you, you know, it's funny, we've had this mouse problem for a while, and somebody told us that mice love chocolate, and so we've actually injected all of those chocolate-covered caramels with rat poison. Therefore, put the candy down. 
Same command, much different foundation. Let us. Should we? Is this a rice cakes versus chocolate kind of therefore? Is this a rat poison kind of therefore? And so, to look at the foundation of our therefore, we've got to back up even further, and I'm not going to read it. I would encourage you, read the book of Hebrews. If you like to take notes, just put that on the side. Read Hebrews, and then go home and look at it later. But if you actually read through the book of Hebrews, you would see that this is a fantastic look at all of the things that the Jewish people hold dear, the fundamentals of the Jewish faith. And the point that the author is making as he goes through these fundamentals is to say, all of these things are good, but they're not great because they're actually pointing to something greater. And in the very first chapter of Hebrews, the author says, look at the angels and the spiritual messengers of God. They were good, but they're pointing to Jesus because he's even better than the angels. And then he says, look at Moses and the deliverance from earthly slavery of Pharaoh that Moses accomplished, and it was good. But really, that was just a foreshadowing of the deliverance that Jesus brings from a spiritual slavery to sin and to death. Moses was good. Jesus is better. He goes on to say, we've had priests as part of the Jewish faith for generation upon generation, and we've needed these priests to intercede for us and to go before the throne of God on our behalf. But these priests pale in comparison to the priest Jesus, the ultimate high priest. Chapter 8 says, there was a covenant that got established, a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the covenant was good. But Jesus came, and he introduced a new covenant new in His blood. And this new covenant is far better than the old one. Far better. And in chapter 9, he says, we have sacrificed. Sacrifice on top of sacrifice on top of sacrifice. And you, you know what they look like, and you know what they smell like, and you know that the blood of animals is not sufficient to take away our sin because every year we got to do it again and do it again and do it again. And then Jesus came and he gave one sacrifice. One. And it was done. And all that came before was pointing to him who would come after. And the author of Hebrews does this over and over again. This was good. Jesus is better. And then he gets to Hebrews 10, 19, and he says, therefore, because of Jesus, this God-man in whom all the promises of God are fulfilled, therefore, this isn't calorie counting. This is life and death. And it's not just rat poison life and death. It's spiritual life and death. And if you consider what we've sung about, these songs that we sang this morning, the magnitude of who Jesus is, of the life given, an innocent man for the guilt of us all, then we can feel the weight of this, therefore let us. 
let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Because Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the ultimate high priest and sacrificial lamb, he makes a way for us to draw near to God himself. So draw near. Let us hold fast our confession of hope. Jesus, the man who died but defeated death, returned to life. He gives us hope that nothing on this planet can defeat. And finally, in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works because of Jesus. Hmm. A long introduction. But if Jesus is the foundation, then it puts verses 24 and 25 in a whole different light. And we need to know that's why the therefore is therefore. So, verse 24. Let us stir up one another to love and good works. Why? John 17 tells us about right before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus prayed. He prayed for his disciples, those who would trust in him, who would come after him. That's us. It was those that were there to hear the prayer. It was those that were there to see the cross. But it was those who would hear their message and believe. That's us. And as Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prays that those who would come after him for generations would be united in Christ. And that by loving like Jesus loved, that others would become united because they would marvel at the way that we can love. And that by offering our good works in sacrifice to Christ, that others would see the Savior given for a dying world. And so let us spur one another on, stir one another up, motivate one another to love and to do good works because of Jesus. Keep reading. Let us not neglect meeting together. You see, we've, we've been delivered by this Jesus. Remember, we're united in a new covenant. We're united under his blood. We're united by this ultimate sacrifice. And so, we're supposed to be together. <laughs> That's kind of what part of united means. We spend time together. And Scripture warns us, some will even develop a habit of not doing that, a habit of not meeting together. It's not good, because that shows the world that Christ is divided, that Jesus isn't united. But we're challenged to fight against these temptations, to fight against the temptation to not be together, and to spend time with our brothers and sisters, and to be intentional and, and while we're doing that, while we're meeting together, it says we're to be all about encouraging one another. Any group of people can spend time together. Well, mostly. But it's funny, our human flesh, huh, we have this built-in insult generator that we're born with. We know how to tear one another down. How many people make a ridiculous living Entertainers, comedians, actors, media pundits, 
blog writers, all based on tearing people down. That's not us. When we get together, we're to be about building one another up, encouraging one another, because we should look different. Because we're not of the flesh that tears and, and destroys. We're of the Spirit that is life, that's in Christ. We're different. And this sounds a lot like it's about you and me, because it's all about us getting together and encouraging and stirring up and doing all these things. But I have an example that I really had never considered before. If this was all about us, about us getting together and meeting together and us encouraging each other and us stirring each other up to do good things, Bob would have fit in really well here. My father-in-law was really good at these things. If you hadn't seen him for a while and, and you were his friend, he pursued you. He was an encouraging guy. He cheered on the grandkids and whatever thing they were doing. He cheered on me. When we got together, because that was important to him, was getting together, and so if I went to Rockford which is where he lived, and I didn't call him ahead of time to say, are you free for lunch? I was going to hear about it. But when we got together, he wanted to know how my business was doing, how our family was doing. He wanted to be encouraging. Bob was good at these things. And if you read Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, just about people getting together and being encouraging and doing good things, he did a lot of good things. We didn't know until we started hearing more and more stories about ways that he raised money for this charity and that charity. And there's things in Rockford physically built for charitable organizations that he had a big hand in. We didn't even realize the extent of all of that. But, but, but and I'm not, I'm not saying this to be critical of my father-in-law. He didn't live according to Hebrews 10. His encouragement, as helpful as it was, wasn't about Jesus. And his, his meeting together was fun, and it was good, and we liked it. But it wasn't because of Christ. And this isn't about his heart. I'm not judging him. And I, if you want to talk about his spiritual condition, we can do that later. That's not what this is about. Because you can know Jesus, but you can fail to live according to Hebrews 10. That's why Hebrews 10 is there, to say, if you know Jesus, this is how you ought to be living. And so if you know Jesus, is this how you're living? Not just getting together, because getting together is good. Not just encouraging, because encouraging is good. Not just stirring up your brothers and sisters to do good things, because those are good things. But are you living by the therefore part of Hebrews chapter 10? And you're doing these things because of Jesus. Because when you do these things because of Jesus, you're actually doing discipleship. You may not think about it that way, but that's what discipleship is. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he, he, he meant, okay, you know who I am. You know who Jesus is. Take that knowledge and share it. And don't just take the knowledge and share it, but do it in relationship with one another. 
so that you can get to know one another, so that you can grow together, and so that you can do this thing that we keep saying over and over again, that you can follow Jesus by making Jesus followers. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is drawing near in faith. It's holding fast to our hope in Christ. It's stirring up one another while we're meeting together, while we're encouraging the saints. And over the last several weeks, this is what God showed me. That the hands and feet of the saints make discipleship happen, not because it's just the thing to do, but because of Christ. My prayer for you is that God really gets a hold of this in your life and really shows you that to be an effective follower of Christ, you ought to be, well, following Christ by following Him with other people. Because that's how He designed it. If you want to know more about how to do this, I would love to talk to you more about how to do this. There's some really good practical stuff out there that tells you not just get together, not just stir each other up, but how to do this kind of stuff. There's a book that's been around for several decades now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Life Together. It's a good one. You ought to read it. Sorry, I'm not supposed to say that. If I were you, no, never mind. You know, recently I read another good book, um, David Brooks, he's a uh, a current columnist with the New York Times. He's a fairly new Christian. Um, he put out a book called The Second Mountain. Now, he's a young Christian. His theology is a little eh. But, um, so I'm just telling you that, all right? But if you want to see what it looks like to pursue Jesus in the midst of our current culture in tangible ways, he's got some good stuff in there. It's challenging. But there's lots of ways that we can do this. You know, as I've been thinking and just, you know, personally reflecting, I've got, um, I've got a couple things that came to mind in ways that I've seen this play out in my own life. So I'll give you some examples. And this might be helpful for you. It might not be helpful for you. So take it or leave it. This is what God has done to challenge me, okay? There's lots more of this. And if you, if you run out of questions for the missionary at your pancake table... Come see me. We can talk about more of these things. I'd love to talk. 20 years ago, a friend helped Melissa and I to think a little bit more intentionally about showing up on Sunday mornings. We were not always consistent in the way that we arrived and the way that we left. And sometimes we were early. Sometimes we were late. And sometimes we left early. Sometimes we left late. And a friend challenged us to, to think about that. And, and I'll be honest, most weeks I really like this place. I really I enjoy it. The worship is good. The, the, the fellowship is good. But there are those weeks. Um, and don't take this personally. There are weeks that I would just rather not see anybody. So it's not you. <laughs> but I come. And I found that the, the Sundays that I didn't really want to be here usually are the Sundays that I really needed to be here. And so Melissa and I had a conversation, I don't know, some 20 years ago, and said, we need to be more intentional about getting there early and staying late. Because we have found that when we do that, it helps us, 
it helps our brothers and sisters, and it does this thing that Jesus has called us to do. And so now we keep each other accountable to that. And it took some time to figure out how to make that work. But when I need it, she helps, and it's good. It's our way of not neglecting. Um, a little more recently, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so ago, the problem was not showing up. The problem for me was emails. I get a lot of emails just because of the nature of my job, and I realize that's not like a, an unusual thing. I realize a lot of you are sitting there going, yeah, you should see my inbox. I, I get that. A lot of us get a lot of emails. And I realized that... Um, I had developed a pattern of skipping the emails or just deleting the emails that were easiest, right? Okay, KBC email, somebody needs prayer. Okay, got to pray for him. Great, do that. I'll do that in the morning when I got my prayer time. Delete. I never prayed for him because by the next morning I'd forgotten. KBC email, family needs help, moving, needs a meal, needs whatever. Okay, when I get home tonight, I should say something to you know, my family about, hey, is this something we want to dig into to help out? delete. I never said anything. Three days later, I realized, oh man, I was supposed to say something about that. God brought it to my attention, and I'm grateful. I was convicted. I said, I, I, it's too easy for me to ignore these things. So I started working on a habit. Don't delete the email until I've done something with the email. And so if you send me an email and say, I need prayer, I probably am not going to put it in a prayer journal, and I'm probably not going to write it down for tomorrow. I am probably going to stop if I can, what I'm doing, and pray. Because if I try to remember it till tomorrow, I'm really bad at that. It's just how I work. But I will pray. I will pray right then. I don't say delete until I say amen. Hmm. I just made that up. <laughs> That's just one way that, that God has challenged me to say, hey, Here's a way you can be engaged with your brothers and sisters in a, in a real, honest, tangible way if you'll commit to doing it. Well, okay, I'm trying. I still, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the email one is still, that's where my flesh can be weak, so. But I pray that God will continue to sharpen me on that. Um, even more recently, and this is really probably most recently, God has really been working on my heart with intentionality with the idea that I need to be more intentional about knowing more about more of you. Because in verse 24, it doesn't just say love each other and do good things. It says consider. Consider how to stir up one another to love and to do good works. How do I stir you up? I don't know how to stir you up unless I know you. What good works can you do? What good works are you good at? Because there's a lot of good works I am really bad at. <laughs> and can you, can you write? Would you write an article or a blog post? Or, or, or are you better at changing somebody's brakes than you are at writing? Are you good with a computer or good with a violin? Or both? That'd be cool. But if I don't know what makes you tick... I don't know how to really stir you up. And guess what? If you don't know me, it's pretty hard for you to stir me up. And so I've really been thinking lately, just honestly in the last couple of years, and, 
and, and it's hit home in the last six months or so about people that I don't know well, and I don't know how well I can do this. And I can't know everybody. You can't know everybody, right? It's just the reality of our limitations. But the people that you do know, how do you know them? Do you know what makes them tick? Do you know what would stir them up? And do you make use of that? Because that's what you should be doing. See, my job, according to Hebrews 10, is to stir people up for Jesus. And that's not because I'm an elder. It's not because I'm standing up front here. That's because I'm a follower of Jesus. So all of you all that are following Jesus with me, that's your job too. And you should be stirring me up, and I should be stirring you up, and we should be a real stirred-up bunch. (laughs) Why? Not for us. For Jesus. And I'm not pretending that any of these things are easy. These little examples I've given you, they take work, and they took me work. They took time. And I'm not there. I still fall short. And there's a dozen more I could give you if you really wanted to, but you'll get mad at me because the pancakes will get cold. It's not easy. But it's worth it. Because of Jesus. I'm really grateful that sometimes when it gets hard and I'm just not feeling it, some of you know how to push my buttons in the right way. I'm grateful that Jesus doesn't leave us alone to say, follow me and good luck. He says, follow me, and here's countless other people that are going to be following me at the same time, and it's going to take all of you. Because that's what discipleship is. It's the iron sharpening iron. It's the, I'm going to challenge you today, and I'm hoping you're feeling challenged because tomorrow or the day after, you're going to have to challenge me. But I'm grateful for that. Because God put us here together. He put you and me here. Even if it's not about you and me. He put you and me here together because it is about Christ. Let's pray. Father, I am humbled that you would allow me to stand here and proclaim your word. And God, I just pray that it is a word that is effective and that would be working in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here to challenge them. God, would you even now stir us up, to stir one another up? And in the conversations that we have afterwards, would you cause us to love and to seek out the good works that we can do and encourage one another? Thank you for the gift of your word, for the power that it has over us, and for your spirit who applies it to our hearts in Christ's precious, precious name. Amen. for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.